Hello, everyone in podcast listening land. I'm Karen Devaney. And I'm Ann Barner. And, and we're, we're sisters. sisters. Welcome to Sugarcoated Murder, where we'll discuss and probably inappropriately laugh about and comment on. Yep. One of our favorite subjects murder. murder. Oh, and we love to bake. And why not combine? Our two favorite subjects. Baking and Amy. <laughs> What's going on? Hey, Ann Barner. Um, you know, life is going on. Life? Life is going on. It's happening. It's real. And I'm living it. All right. Very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got to tell you, I'm so excited about what I'm baking today. Me too. Oh, I am making sweet potato biscuits. Mm. Mm, girl. Girl. I love me some sweet potato. Anything. I love sweet potatoes baked. I like sweet potatoes fried. I like sweet potato fries. I like sweet potato chips. Sweet potato pie. Sweet potato bread. Sweet potato muffins. Sweet potato pudding. Sweet potato custard. Okay. I like sweet potato cake. We got it. I like sweet potatoes. You do? I do. I had no idea. Sweet potatoes. I, I love didn't them. realize you had such a such they are a one love. of my favorite foods aside from French fries. Okay. So, wow. Yes. Absolutely. You so, got it covered. And then. It's my understanding that you have some good old-fashioned Virginia ham in your fridge. I do. I do. Which will be accompanying these sweet potato biscuits. So we'll be having sweet potato biscuits and some good old salty ham on them. Yes. And for our friends that live in Virginia, you know what we're talking about. Yes. For our friends that don't live in Virginia. We're sorry that you don't know we're what sorry, we're talking about. We're sorry, but Virginia has ham um, that's... It's, Very, it's salty. It's like super, super salty country oh, yeah. ham. Yes. Um, it's got like a nice smoky, salty flavor mm. to it. It's delicious. And to it put is. it with something sweet, like a sweet potato biscuit, Lord have mercy. And any of our friends that are in Virginia that are listening, feel free to uh, email us for our address and you can send us some at any yes, time. Yes, absolutely. We always take donations. <laughs> <laughs> we do indeed. We yes. do indeed. But don't send us the whole ham because that's a lot to deal with. That, oh no, I don't know what to do with don't, it. Don't, don't, I don't know do what that. to do with the don't whole do ham. That. I know there was a there was soaking in the tub. That's what I. That's what I remember <laughs> is there was soaking in the tub, and it was the ham, not our mama, that was soaking in the tub. Right, so. right. After that, I don't know what happened. It was like blah blah blah, and then I got some ham biscuit. Understood. So this recipe seems to be really easy. It's from my. Spirit guide, Paula Dean. And <laughs> so does food, it have butter in it? Um, it's got a little butter. A little butter. It's got a little bit of butter with your butter. All right. And it's it seems to be very basic. It's uh, fresh sweet potato, which is important. We don't do canned sweet potato. There's no such thing. And some milk. And it's got your normal biscuit stuff, flour, sugar, salt, butter, baking powder, butter. <laughs> A little bit of butter, and so you do your. You take your dry ingredients, where you take your milk and your sweet potato, and you whisk it together so it's nice and creamy. And then you take your dry ingredients and you whisk those together so they're well combined. Then you cut your butter up into pieces. It's cold, unsalted butter. Right. You, you get those in there um, in pieces, and then. And for fancy bakers, you might have like a pastry cutter or butter. It, I have butter. a pastry cutter, and I've had it probably since I was married, and I'm not fancy. Right. I, oh. I see what you're saying. <laughs> it's just a basic tool that right. I have found out that I am here making butter biscuits with no butter cutter. I don't have a butter cutter. 
So I'm, I'm going to start out by using forks, but eventually I think I'm going to end up having to use my hands in there. And back up. in the day, way back in the day, they didn't have a butter cutter. Okay, they didn't have a butter cutter, but you know what they did have? They Patience. Had the, they had the insight to make a butter cutter. <laughs> That's what they had. And I bet you they did have one because I feel like it's an old-fashioned tool to have it. It's a pastry cutter. But whatever, I'm going to try it with these here forks, but I have a feeling I'm going to have to put my hands in it. There's nothing wrong with that. No, because that's how you get the love in there. Yes. So anyway, I'm going to be churning out some biscuits, girl. All right. While you, you, you turn out biscuits, I'm going to talk about murder. You turn out a murder. All right. What I have here is the murder of Christy Merrick. Christy was a 25-year-old school teacher. She taught sixth grade in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. On December 20th, she spoke to her friends and family and told them how excited she was to give each one of her sixth graders a book. I was married in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I remember. In 1989. It was lovely. I lived there for a minute. Yes. Yes, you did. It was beautiful. Were you there in 1992? I was not there in 92. Good, because that was a bad time. Yeah, I was. I had already gone, left there, and had my baby by then. Right. So I was then... <laughs> Somewhere not there. Right. So, Christy is getting ready. It's it's just before the spring, the holiday, winter, Christmas break. And she's wrapped books for all of her students. She nice. took the time to write a personalized message to each one of her students in front of each of their books. Oh, that's great. So, on the 20th, she's talking to, you know, her friends and her family. And she's excited. And right into the... Christmas spirit. So December 21st arrives and the elementary school quickly fills with happy students and staff ready for the holiday. And strangely, Christy didn't, didn't show up. Oh, wow. And it was unlike Christy. She was never late. She was always there on time, if not early, always happy, big smile on her face. So an hour goes by and there's no Christy. So the principal, his name is Harry Goodman calls her family, oh. says, have y'all hear, heard from Christy this morning? Um, she hadn't shown up for work, we're a little bit worried. And her family lived about an hour away. And they said, no, we hadn't heard anything, but keep us posted, let us know when she gets there, make sure she's okay. Just the kind-natured person that this man was, he said, you know what, she doesn't live far from here, I'm gonna hop in my car and go check on her. All right. So he gets in his car and he drives over to Christy's when he gets there, he notices that her door is open. So, and I think he was thinking, you know, she's probably stranded somewhere with a flat tire. Yeah. Cell phones were not the end thing back in 1992, believe it or not. No, I don't think they were a thing. So, he had expected to find her, you know, along the way. Mm -hmm. And he gets there and her car is iced over, so clearly she has not cleaned her car off. So he pokes his head in the door and he calls her name and he doesn't hear anything. So he steps into the doorway and he sees Christy on the floor. Oh no. The presents that she had wrapped so carefully were strewn around her and her face was black and blue. Oh. It was obviously obvious to him that she had been beaten to death. So the principal, of course, leaves her house, goes to a next door neighbor's house and calls 911. And the only thing the people remember him saying over and over again is, oh my God, her face, her face. So the police come, they start to look at the scene. 
they see that Christy has been beaten, raped, and strangled to death with her own sweater. Oh, gosh. She'd been beaten so badly that she was beyond recognition. And there was a cutting board next to her. And what they think happened was that she probably grabbed the cutting board to defend herself. Mm -hmm. And her killer took it from her and beat her to death with it. And then strangled her with her own sweater. She's still out on her gloves and her coat. Oh, she was getting ready to leave. Um, so she was getting ready to head out the door. She probably opened the door and there he there he was. Oh. They were able to get some DNA from the scene and they started searching for suspects. They put the DNA through a database, which in 1992 was little, very, very small. Not a lot. Not a lot. Not a lot. They did have DNA evidence that you could put through and see if you got a match. But that was kind of the extent of it. You either had a match or you didn't have a match. And um, they didn't have a match. So the case went cold. The case went cold for 25 (gasps) years. Oh my gosh, that's horrible. 25 years. After 10 years, her mother passed away. So her mother never knew what the outcome was. But her brother swore that he would never give up. Good. That he would keep the fight going so until they found the killer. Yes. Yes. One would hope that any brother would do that. Right. Here's something really interesting about how this case broke. And I know I didn't spend a lot of time on the murder itself because the murder is just the murder. It is what it is. It, she okay. was badly beaten. She was raped. She was strangled to death. She was victimized and tortured. Exactly. And she didn't deserve it. Right. And she was a good person. Absolutely. Evil came knocking at her door. And she left behind just hundreds and hundreds of people who mourned her death. Her students, you know, now it's 25 years later, her students are all grown. They probably have families of their own. Absolutely. So, And yet um, they probably still remember her. Absolutely. Here's something really interesting. In April of 2018... You'll recall the Golden State Killer was caught. I do remember that. Do you remember how they figured out who he was? Yes, I do. It was through DNA um, genealogy, like forensic genealogy. Yes. So investigators found a team, and they used genealogy to catch him. They actually found a relative of his on a genealogy site, and they were able to track him back. Because you can register your... DNA profile on these 23andMe and Ancestry.com so right. you can find distant relatives or long-lost siblings because your parents forgot to tell you about them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or so, if you were switched at birth and nobody let you know, then you find the real family that was supposed to get you. Hmm. Just saying. I understand what you're saying. I'm going to ignore it. Anyway, so there... There is this genealogy expert. Her name is Cece Moore. She was an actor, a singer. She gave all that up because she got into genealogy. Oh, fun. And she had known for a considerable amount of years that you could potentially use this type of software to figure out who killed somebody. Mm-hmm. But there were a lot of bioethicist, I don't know if I pronounced that right, and legal experts that frowned uh, upon it. Okay, so the, the people that did uh, bioethics. Right. Okay. So what, what are they? Ethicists. Ethicists? Yes. I don't know what they're called. Anyway, they, they frowned on it. They said, nope, this is not a good way, but 
when the Golden State Killer was caught, they all changed their minds and were like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yeah. Why haven't we been using it? Or since sweet potato biscuits. Since sweet potato biscuits, right. So she was, the C.C. Moore was really shocked um, when they supported that, the use of genetic genealogy for the capture of the Golden State Killer. So it was about 2017 that Lancaster District Attorney pulled Christie's file and said, this is my biggest cold case file. I'm just going to send it out there and see what kind of advancements yeah. they've made. And that was towards the end of 2017. Okay. So he reached out to a company called Parabon Nano Labs. Yes. <laughs> Are you familiar with them? I am familiar. Hmm. That's where C.C. Moore worked. Okay. They gave them the DNA sample from Christie's crime scene, mm -hmm. and that team got to work. Okay. It took about a month. They were, they, they were able to clear 60 potential suspects. Wow. Then they were also able to get a genetic profile for the killer, and they came up with a composite drawing of what the killer could look like. Okay. So the district attorney holds a press conference. This is in 2018 now. He holds a press conference, and he releases the picture. And he's thinking, here we go. I'm going to release this picture. And everybody's going to Everybody's know who like, it is. oh my God, I know exactly who it is. Yes. That did not happen. So disappointing. All of Christie's friends were like, wait, he doesn't look familiar to me at all. I have no idea who this could be. Well, somebody so, out there had to have thought he was familiar. Right. Yeah. I, I can think of some people. Okay. So. Some. Not all. The investigators had gotten two DNA samples from the scene. One was from the carpet and one was from Christie's body. They make sure that Parabon has both samples mm -hmm. and they take it. And with C.C. Moore, they are able to create a data file. So they take this data file and they submit it to a genealogy, genealogy website called yeah. GEDmatch. Okay. Or G, it's G-E-D -E match. match. Yeah. I take a little break because I got a dry throat. So I took a sip of water and now we're back on it. Okay, so they created the data file. They submitted it to the genealogy website. Okay. And bam. They got a hit. Oh, nice. They got a freaking hit. Nice. 25 years later, they have a hit. They find the killer's grandparents. Wow. Cousins. She, the Cece Moore, she is absolutely amazing. She literally builds the killer's family tree upside down. Nice. She narrows down the killer to this one family in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Okay. She knows that they're of Northern European descent. Uh-huh. And she's, she knows that the killer is related to this family, but she needs to keep digging because she's not 100% sure how they're related. All right. She notices in some of the information they got back that this family is part Puerto Rican. So she keeps digging and somehow, I don't know how she did this, but somehow she finds a wedding announcement for a member of this family. Oh my gosh. It lists the father's name. Uh -huh. And that name comes from Latin American descent. Okay. So she knows she's getting close. Okay. Okay. Then she finds an online magazine 
Again, I have no idea how she did this, but she just, I'm fascinated. She does her job. I'm fascinated. She does it well. But she finds an online magazine that has an interview with this father. Hmm. He talks about how he loves to cook Puerto Rican food because he's half Puerto Rican. Wow. Right. She can't believe it. She's like, oh my gosh, bingo. I got him. I got him. It had taken about a month for the composite sketch and the profile to come out, and it had only taken her a couple of days to figure out who this person is. Okay. So the district attorney needs to get the killer. He's got a, he needs DNA from the killer. Sure. To make sure it's a match. It's a match, right? So they get together a team of investigators. There's a, there's a woman on the team who strikes up a conversation with this guy. And he's on his way into an elementary school to DJ an event. Okay. And somehow or another, I guess maybe as he's getting ready to do his thing or when he's getting ready to leave, he throws a piece of chewing gum and his empty water bottle in the trash. I'm, I just want to say bravo for him for not throwing it on the ground. Right, yeah. Because yeah. I hate that. Right. Okay. Thank goodness he's so conscious about the environment. Yes. As opposed to human life. Okay. You got to take your credits where you can, girl. <laughs> they, the team goes into the trash. They pull out the gun. They pull out the bottle. Uh -huh. And they rush it to the crime lab. And the crime lab gets to work. Nice. Get it, girl. Get it. I know. They're on it. They're like, holy crap. After 25 years, the police have their man. They issue an arrest warrant and go to pick him up. Unfortunately, he's on vacation. He and his family well, of course they are. are traveling across the United States, having a bully good time. A bully good time. Am I turning these biscuits out right here on my workspace? Yeah, that would be the best idea. That's fine. Since I don't have like a an island. A biscuit cart. I don't have a biscuit cart where you can take care of all it. All your, all your stuff. It's it's a very hands-on experience here at my house. It's a DIY. It's not. If y'all out there in, in listening land are thinking we're in some gourmet kitchen, oh, that is not what's happening. Oh, no. it, is, uh -uh. it is a very small kitchen, um, but it is filled with love. Oh, so much love. All right, so this jackass has been living in the same community that Christy lived in all this time in plain sight. No way! He had gotten married um, four times, actually. Oh, my gosh. Well, he's a professional. Had children and had a great career. Oh, nice for him. He murdered Christy, walked out her door, and picked up as though nothing had happened. What is his ever As a matter of fact, he left Christy's house and went to his fiance's house. No. -uh. Four days later, he celebrated Christmas, and just a few months later, he got married. What a jackass. Yes. Can you believe it? But he, but he never did anything else? He never anybody? committed another crime. He was uh, one and done kind One of and done. This asshole's name is Raymond Rowe. Raymond Rowe, you're an idiot. And he worked professionally as a DJ, DJ named DJ Freeze. Okay. So, wait a minute. Right. Are you wiki, saying... Wiki, wiki, DJ Freeze. Wiki, wiki, wiki. <laughs> Okay, but what I'm saying is that's his main job, 
and yeah. four people have married him. Not that I think DJing is a bad job, but can you support a family on it? Yeah. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Well, evidently, he worked at this chameleon club in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Come, come, very come, 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 chameleon. Okay. Is that the one? Is that the right song? No. Wait, what is it? I think it's Karma. Karma Chameleon. Oh, crap. Yeah, but if you want to come up, come up, Chameleon. Karma, 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 Chameleon. It's just not working. Is it Carve a Chameleon? No. It's a Chameleon. Yes. And Boy George sang it. Right, but there's also a club in Pennsylvania. And this guy had evidently DJed some events for Paris Hilton, something where Sting was there, something where the Eagles were there. So evidently he's like, he's the guy in town you go to for DJing your party. That was not. And he did it. That's what he was doing when he... murderous DJ. He is a murderous DJ. So evidently, the night before Christy was murdered, she and her friends had been out to a club and he was DJing there. Oh. Right. And he, he lived close to her house. He actually had to pass her house on the way to work. He worked in a warehouse during the day. And uh, exactly, during the day. Did, did his DJing thing Exactly. At back in the 90s. Our heart. Back in the 90s. But then he turned the DJ thing into a career. Anyway. Anywho. Other than that, there was no connection between the two of them. So she was so random. Did he stalk her the night before? Well, here's what some of her friends said in an interview that I watched on Dateline. Okay. Um, it was an episode called Facing the Music. Ooh, they said that thing. a couple months before uh -uh. the um, murder that Christy thought somebody, or Christy and her roommate thought that they had a peeping Tom. Ew. And they saw him in the window and they all chased after him but never caught him. So the friend is like, you know, maybe it, this was him and he was stalking her and we just didn't realize that's what was happening. Yeah, because if she was a regular at that club, then, you know, if he was Plus, a regular DJ at that club, then maybe he was. And there was such a tight time frame for when this happened because her roommate left the house to go to work. Let me look at my notes. It was at 7.30. Okay. That principal, Mr. Goodman, arrived at the house. It was like nine o'clock, so it was like a really oh my gosh, tight it's time like frame. He was watching to see when the roommate went, right. went to work. Right, so and I'm really, sure he took care of all of that, and then he went to his job and just carried on with his life. Yeah, he did. He did. Well, no so, more. No more. Will no. we do that? In January of 2019, DJ Freeze pled guilty to murder and rape. Oh gosh. Yeah. He pled guilty. Yeah. He said, I done did it. In exchange for his plea, he got a life sentence. In court, he gave no explanation. He simply apologized to Christie's family. Um, Apology not accepted. Right. Too little, too late. Thank you. So here's some really interesting facts about this, this DNA match. The probability of Christie's killer being anyone other than DJ Freeze okay. is approximately 1 in 200 Octillion. Oh, girl, is that like... That's 27 zeros. Woo! Right. Right. Oh gosh, well, no wonder he pled guilty. So, let's think like, about uh, this. Yeah, it was me. 
In 2017, there were 7.53 billion people on the planet Earth. Yeah, I was going to say, that's more than how many people are on the Earth. Right. So there's no other person on no, Earth. Maybe in nobody. the galaxy. We don't know who's out there. So but he didn't no have a choice but to plead guilty. <sighs> and he did that so he wouldn't get the death penalty. Flam, flam, shimmy, sham. But oh my God, how amazing I just love that is this technology. technology. And for all of my relatives out there, once I do get my DNA done, I'm just going to let you know I am registering my shit. So if you're a serial killer or a killer on the on the lamb or on the download, you're going to get it. Well, I'll be interested to see. And I'm going to cut you out of all the family pictures. <laughs> I'll be interested to see what your genealogy is. I've had mine done. I know you have in Mama House, and nobody has disclosed to me what it says. Right. So I really <laughs> want to be surprised at what we want to yeah. see. Yeah. We're trying to figure out who the hell you are. I, I've been trying to figure <laughs> that out for 50 uh, years. <laughs> 50 itch. So, uh, yeah. Listen, wow. it's my hope is it's going to get harder and harder for people to get away with murder, and we're going to have yeah. less and less cold case files. I hope so. Um, That's my only hope right there. But I mean, it's not my only hope in the whole world, but related to this story, it's it was my main that hope. it was the Golden Gate killer getting Golden caught. State. Golden Gate. I mean, he didn't kill him. Not the Golden, Golden Gate, Gate. The Golden State killer getting caught that they gave. CC more the courage to be able to take yeah. this genealogy as far yeah. as she's taken it. And she was really big. There's a talk show. Is it Alana? Alana. I can't say her name, but I know who you're talking about. I think she's wonderful because she fixes people's life. She does, but she also helps people find, um, like if they've been adopted, oh, missing. Right. And that's kind of how CC Moore got her start in the genealogy uh -huh. business. She's the Helping expert that they would go to. Their long lost families. Yeah, they would. Wow. She would. So, yeah, that's what I got. That okay. all happened in beautiful Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It is very pretty there. It is. There's some Amish people there. And I got to tell you, the Amish bakeries there are super good. Right. And I will also tell you that there's some ice cream places there. I remember there's the some ice dairy cream. farms. There are some. Flipping good stuff. That was a good place. Yeah, it was. I lived there for just a minute. And you, but your wedding was beautiful. And my wedding was beautiful because it snowed six inches the night before my wedding. Yes. And it was absolutely gorgeous. And then for my honeymoon, quote unquote, <laughs> when we stayed at the Red Caboose Inn, which That's is fun. not in quotes, and we actually stayed in a caboose car. Nice. On a railroad track. Wow. It was. The wind chill that night was 60 below. The only heat was a pot belly stove. Oh my God. In the middle. We unwrapped all of the presents and stuffed it in all the cracks under the door and around the windows because it was so drafty. Wow. And um, our pipes froze that night and we could in not the get caboose. showers the next day. <laughs> oh. And we hightailed it right the hell out of there. I'm sure you did. And, but absolutely gorgeous because that morning 60 below is kind of cold Sunday, are you sure it was 60 it was, below the wind chill was 60 below it was it set records it was amazing wow so anyway and they had to put a horse blanket over the engine of our car oh. <laughs> so, we, it, so we went in our car when it frees up oh my so but the next day in the snow this was a main i guess passageway to an amish church and all of the amish horse and buggies came through in the snow right. down to the church. It was absolutely gorgeous. But Sounds like a good time. Place. It was a good time. It was such a good time. Yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> 
Well, there you go. There's your murder. That's it. That's my murder. So and I've got the, my first pan about, of biscuits getting ready to go into the oven. All right. Here we go. I know. And then um, I don't know why I agreed to do this because you know I don't like to get my hands messy. You're all right. But I, I mean, the sweet potatoes, this smells so good that it smells like butter on top of butter. Oh, my goodness. So, anyway, so we're going to take a break and switch places, and then Annie is going to finish the biscuits. <laughs> Lucky me. Yeah. She gets one pan in. The ham still has to be cooked, and more biscuits have to be made. Okay, let so. me just say, you need to start stringing out your murders a little longer when I'm baking them. Oh. That's right, girl. I understand what Maybe you're saying. It's because you are a fast talker. Well, I have to remember to slow it down. You got to slow it Slow it down. And no need to, enough to enunciate like that. Don't smart. Talk me, you lady. Put on your NPR voice. I'll put my NPR voice on. And, and we'll talk about fuzzy sweaters. And sweaty balls. We're not going to talk about sweaty balls. We're going to take a break. Goodbye. All right, girl, we're back. We're back. And Ann Varner is now in the kitchen, and um, she is buttering another pan, and she's going to turn out some more biscuits. Yes, I am. And she's going to get that ham warmed up for us. She put a couple slices in a little skillet with a little butter, because ain't nothing wrong with a little butter. It makes your skin look so pretty. It does, and I um I use unsalted butter. Yes. Yes. There's plenty of salt in our ham. We don't need to use no. salted butter. Lord, no. We'll be... Um, will be dry as a salt lick. <laughs> okay, so it's time for my murder. Let's hear it. Yep. What you got? My murder happens in Alaska. Alaska. The home of the forever snowman. I don't know. Right. The eternal snowman. I don't know what their motto is there, but I feel like it ha should have something to do with eternal snowman. Okay. Because it sounds romantic. Okay. And it, I think it's cold there all the time. I think you might be right. Okay. So, oh my gosh, I love it when I'm right. I'm just going to keep going then. I said might be. I know, but I like it when I might be right too. Okay. Okay, so this is 1993. And we're going to talk about Sophie Sergi. Okay. She's a 20-year-old girl. She's native Alaskan from a rural village of Pitkiss Point. Okay. Okay. Pitkiss Point. P-I-T-K-A-S. All right. And it's a village of about 150 people. Aw, little. Yes. She enrolled in the University of Alaska Fairbanks, which I will now refer to as UAF. UAF. Not United States Air Force. Right, right. University of Alaska Fairbanks. Okay. Okay. She enrolled in 1990. She was on a full scholarship to study marine biology. Fun. Yes. Like I said, her village of Pitkiss Point had a population of 150 people. She was their rising star. I'm sure. Wow. Yep. UAF is 525 miles away from her village. Oh, my gosh. That's a long commute. That Well, it, it, she didn't commute. She's not a commuter. <laughs> but for us, it seems like, you know... That's a really long ways, but for them, because they're so, Alaska is so remote, it's not unusual. Right. They usually take a plane somewhere. Right. They, she did. She took a plane. Yeah. And if you think about it, it's 525 miles, but it was still in Alaska and she was in Alaska. Right. So, I mean, it's just yeah. very remote. It is. 
I watch Live PD Alaska. Me too. Alaska PD. Alaska PD. Me too. I love it. Love it. Me too. She had been a student there, but she had taken some time off from UAF. She um, she got braces. Oh. And she so she took some time off to get her braces and to go home and make some money. Because braces are expensive. And she wanted to pay for them herself. Even if you have insurance. Yes, and she wanted to pay them pay for her pay for them herself because her parents were not well off. Right. That's nice and responsible. Yeah. While she was um, off from college, she worked in her village as a teacher's aide and she also worked as a clerk. And I'm thinking it was like a retail clerk somewhere. Okay. But I'm not sure where. Okay, so April 24th, 1993, Sophie flies into Fairbanks for a dental appointment, and she decided while I'm here, I'm going to go work on, go to the library, work on some of my school stuff, and also go visit one of her friends at the campus of UAF, and she went to, and this friend of hers lived in a dorm called Bartlett Hall. Bartlett Hall. Yes. So it was a pretty small college, and they had some violence against females that had risen recently. Oh, no. Most people did feel safe because it was a small campus, but there had been camp cuts in the campus security because of budget cuts. Oh, gosh. Mainly they cut the security people that worked at the front desk of the dorms to sign people in and out of the dorms. Right. And also, recently, there had been a drunk man found wandering in one of the female bathrooms. Oh, gosh. So this was, um, it was a co-ed dorm, but the way they had it set up was there was a female floor and a male floor, a female floor and a male floor. I think it was eight stories. Right. So every other one was male and female. They didn't have them intermingled, which I appreciate. That's just tacky. You can just throw all those college kids together. So she flies in. And she goes to see her friend, and on April 25th in the evening, Sophie and her friend watch a movie in the dorm room. Sophie goes to get a shower, or she, she went out to smoke, and then she came in, she got a shower, and then the friend, and then Sophie left again, she left the room again, and, and she said, I'm going to go smoke again, and... The girl said, well, you should smoke up, you should smoke in the bathroom and blow it out the vent because it's really too cold to stand out there. Oh. While Sophie was gone, the friend's boyfriend came over and then the friend left a note to Sophie saying that she was going to spend the night with her boyfriend. She'd see her in the morning. Well, that sucks. She went to visit her friend and then her friend ditched her for her boyfriend? So the boyfriend lived in the dorm, I think, but just not on their floor. So Sophie went downstairs to smoke in front of the dorms. she They know she was out there because there were friends out there that Sophie knew, and they actually snapped a picture of Sophie, happy and dancing, and all seemed very normal. Aww. Yeah, that picture that was captured of Sophie, so alive and carefree, was the last picture that we will have of Sophie. Oh, no. April 26th, normal day at UAF. Students are taking finals, packing up to go home for the summer. They get off early. Yeah. Around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, the roommate comes home, and there's no Sophie. And she didn't really think anything of it. You know how college kids are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. So around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, a janitor went into the second floor bathroom. It was like a hall bathroom that was like everybody used to that bathroom. 
and it was in the, that dorm, and there was a separate room off of the main bathroom that just was kind of sectioned off, and it had a bathtub in it. Oh. He entered in there. He was cleaning the bathrooms. Right. And he entered in there and then ran away screaming. Oh, no. What he found was Sophie laid out in a bloody bathtub. Her pants were around her ankles. Oh, no. It was obvious she had been raped. She had been stabbed shot and they called the police and what they found was she had been stabbed several times in the face oh my gosh and shot in the back of the head oh man yeah the time of death was um, estimated to be between 1 a.m and 5 a.m wow so they start interviewing students from that dorm but they only interviewed students on that floor and they didn't go room to room to search the dorm. Why? I don't know. No one reported hearing the gunshot. Oh. Now you would think in a bathroom it would echo. Echo, yeah. So the investigation was problematic from the beginning because of the students leaving for the summer. Lots of kids had packed up and gone to class and then they were leaving right after class. So they didn't get to contact all of the students that were in the dorm at that time. Right. Due to the crime scene clues and the different interviews, they surmised that Sophie was killed in the bathroom on the second floor. So they concentrated only on the people that lived on that floor. Was this a misjudgment? I don't know. I mean, was it? Is that, should they have gone maybe room to room and searched the whole, I mean, it's eight floors of kids. It's eight floors of kids, and you also have to remember that these towns in Alaska, are, are, they have a small police force. Very small. So. Very small. It's not like they've got a huge police force where they can send all these people in no. to go ask questions for, for you know, they, they have to work with what they have. I mean, You're exactly right. Manpower. So what they could gather was Sophie had no boyfriends, no stalkers, no enemies, and she they did not think that she knew her killer. They think the student, the, the killer is a student from UAF or somebody who would be familiar with the dorms, which would be a student or an ex-student. There was DNA recovered from the scene. That's promising. Yes, but there was no murder weapon found. Nothing found at the murder scene as far as what they, she was stabbed with, nothing. Back to the police. The police, it was an 8-4 dorm. They did not search room to room. Um, could they have missed other evidence or a chance to maybe run into the killer? I don't know. Being that each floor was female and each floor was male, maybe they could have at least gone to the male floors. Right. <laughs> Something. Something. Unfortunately, the case very quickly went cold. So I'm going to talk for a minute about Sophie's friend, Shirley. This is the one she came to visit that ditched yes, her for the she, boyfriend. Yeah, and she didn't ditch her. She was just going to spend the night. I'm sure she wanted a little slap and tickle. She <laughs> thought at least she didn't do it in the room with Sophie. She was at least courteous enough to do that. The guy was probably in the same dorm. She wasn't far away. And this was probably behavior that was not unusual for a college student. All right. She said when she returned to the dorm the next day, she found the dorm room unlocked and Sophie gone. At first, she was very irritated. She figured maybe Sophie was taking a long shower and had not bothered to lock the door. So she left, Shirley left for class, 
and then came back after class, and upon her second return, she realized Sophie had never slept in the bed. So she started to wonder what happened, and she was worried. She even called the orthodontist where Sophie was supposed to go to see if Sophie had been there for her appointment. And the orthodontist said she had missed the appointment. Oh, no. The crime scene did yield some fibers, some hair, and some semen. Oh. And it was preserved very carefully. So that was good. And even though the case went cold, it was never off the minds of the investigators. So as the DNA technology developed, they revisited evidence and submitted everything for processing and searched through databases and everything. So in 2007, Alaska State Troopers Cold Case Unit began reviewing Sophie's case. So I think in 2005 is when they built this cold case unit, and it was mainly retired cops that came back to work the cold cases. All right. They re-interviewed witnesses. They come through evidence and notes. They even went to an independent forensic examiner, and they brought him in. He questioned the position of thinking that Sophie was killed in the bathroom. Right. Because nobody heard the gunshot. gunshot. And since they focused on second floor residents, could someone on a different floor have heard the gunshot or seen something suspicious? And they just never talked to that person. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good question. Yep. So this may, meant that they needed to use go back and use a 1993 roster for the dorms and try to track down all of the people that lived in the dorms in 1993. Oh, wow. Right. And at that point, they found out that, A, they didn't have a log for visitors anymore. Right, because they had cut the staff. Yep, people were coming and going. They weren't having to sign in and out of their dorm anymore. And they also found out that even though kids were assigned a particular room during the year, they were allowed to switch rooms. Oh, wow. And it wasn't recorded. So they really were up against a wall. The forensic side, so they, they consulted with a forensic psychologist, and the forensic psychologist said that Sophie's rapist had planned this attack and would eventually rape again. Oh, wow. So, in 2009, um, there was an interview with the, one of the Alaska State Troopers who recalled how complex and impossible the scene was because of all the heavy foot traffic in and out of the dorm and in and out of the bathroom where she was killed. It turns out that they didn't secure the bathroom, and they had close to 50 students who came in and out of the bathroom to see the body. Oh, my goodness. Yes, they had people walking through the the crime scene. Wow. Again, it's that manpower. Yeah, it really, it's it's just horrible. Yeah, so they found out that visitors and residents and anyone had access through many doors of entry, staircases, elevators, and it, it was just, the crime scene really was just too big. It was too big. And it was too late. They at that point, Crime Stoppers of Fairbanks offered a twenty thousand dollar reward. Oh, that's a good, that's a good solid reward. Yes, money talks. Yeah, it does. It does. They also said at that point that one of the problems with the case that they were having was in nineteen ninety four. Sophie's mother sued the University of Alaska for $4 million for poor security that did not keep her daughter safe. I get it. 
And according to the state trooper that was interviewed, this hampered the investigation because the state was forced to release critical information that they had wanted to withhold from the public. And now it was not being withheld from the public. Right. It was, it was actually just put into like a court record. Right. So they said that that was a hindrance. Many profilers worked on this case to try to solve it. They said that as far as Sophie goes, she was a low-risk victim. She had no boyfriend, no known enemies. She was not promiscuous. She did not hang out in bars. They think that she was probably just a victim of convenience. And it was not. she was not personally targeted. She just was in the wrong place That's at the wrong time, time, which I hate that. I do too. The profilers also said about the killer that he hated women and he enacted his rage on Sophie because she was a convenient target. But that he had planned an attack, just not an attack on specifically on Sophie. Oh, wow. They said that he probably left University of Alaska and probably left Fairbanks at that point after the killing. And they also think that it was at the time a current or former student at that time. So we've still got people working on it. Well, that's good news. I'm glad that yes. it hasn't completely gone. Yeah. 2015, due to budget constraints, the cold case unit is shut down. Oh, no. I know. It's just so sad. And it makes me want to say, I'll go work. Uh, tell me what to do. I'll go do it. I'll volunteer my time and go do it. I mean, it's just these, these police departments that don't have the money to get these things done. I'm not qualified, but I sure as hell can follow directions. Right. Tell me what I need to do and I'll try. But I mean, it's just horrible. These budget constraints that they keep facing and, and they, I mean, the whole cold case, the, the one guy that they interviewed said one of the hardest calls he had to make was to Sophie's mother to tell her that the cold case unit was being shut down and that her file would go into kind of a, a log and active duty cops when they had downtime could go work on the files. Wow. And what, I mean, they're, they're already stretched so thin. What downtime do they have? Right. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's so, it's just unfair. I'm going to backtrack because in 2010, they did go through and re-interview some Bartlett Hall students at the time. Right. And they talked to a male student and that male student disclosed that he knew of another student in the dorm that at the time had an HR-22 caliber revolver, oh. which is what Sophie was shot with. All right. He named this, this guy that owned it, and he said his name is Stephen Downs. But there were no other notes and no other follow-ups on this. Are you serious? So I don't know. We don't know what happened. Like, wh- who took those notes? But there was no follow-up. In December 8 of 2018, a forensic genealogist matched through GED match. Does that oh sound familiar? Funny. <laughs> matched their DNA from the scene to a female female family member of the killer. Oh my gosh. Yes. That female family member was the aunt of none other than Stephen Downs. No freaking. I'm not way. kidding. Gives me chills. I got chills. I don't know, is it cold in here or what's happening, but I got some chills. (laughs) Downs was an 18-year-old student at the University of Alaska Fairbanks, living in none other than Bartlett Hall at the time of Sophie's murder. Holy shitballs. Downs was 
Oh, he was that that interviewed student's roommate at the time. Wow. And he did own a revolver at the time. They find Mr. Downs in Auburn, Maine. They ask wow, him. Wow, he's far away. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you do something like that, you're going to get the hell out of there. That's right. He did give them a sample upon his arrest of his DNA. And the DNA matched that from a crime scene. Got him. Yep. He denies having anything to do with Sophie's rape and murder. He said, I heard about that girl. It was just terrible. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. How'd your DNA get there, buddy? Exactly. And he did not agree to be extradited to Alaska. He didn't? I didn't know you could agree or disagree. <laughs> I didn't, think you had I a didn't know you had a choice. He disagreed. He said, I'm not going. And he didn't go. What? So in November of 2019, Downs has an attorney in Alaska. So they've charged him. Okay. Okay. He's waiting for trial. In Maine. He's in Maine. Out, not in jail. Choosing not to go to Alaska because he's going to get thrown in jail probably with no bond. So he chooses to stay in Maine. He petitions to have all the charges thrown out, citing that the cold case took too long to solve. What? He does not want any DNA evidence allowed in the case. And without that, they, his attorneys say there is no case. Well, duh. So they argued, and I'm going to quote, quote, a few spermatozoa molecules, unquote, are not enough to convict. What? And we dispute the link to the gun possession. Because they said, no, he had that gun, but he bought it in 2016. Okay. My thing is, so who'd you buy it from? Right. Let's, let's follow that let's chain follow of evidence. Trail. yeah. So what came out in court was that Sophie had actually been raped, shocked with a stun gun. Oh, God. Gagged with a ligature, struck with a blunt object, stabbed in both of her eyes, oh. and shot in the back of her head. This was rage to the nth degree. Oh, I mean, oh. talk about violence. I mean, it was everything you could do to a person. Oh, my gosh. It's like a horror film. Yes. So, at the time of his arrest, Downs was a 44-year-old nurse, and he had been fired for making a female co two female co-workers feel uncomfortable with inappropriate behavior. They can't find records that he got another job after that. Also, I can't find a trial date. Oh. No date has been set for this trial. Oh, wait, so that's the end of your story? That is the flippin' end. You, there's no freaking closure. There's no closure. What is no, the and you know what? You? Why would you Sophie doesn't story? have closure either, and neither does her village. And her village deserves closure. So what are you going to do about it? I don't know. Okay. I'm thinking about going to Alaska and say, what can I do to help you guys? Because we need a trial date and we need a conviction. I don't understand why murder and rape isn't an extraditable offense. I don't either. So we'll, we'll need some sort we'll of... Need, uh, if, if there is an attorney out there who can give us the right language... Or and the understanding yeah, any of... Any kind of a legal expert that wants yeah. to share... Yeah, because I, I mean, I am for Clint. Yes. Because I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't either. When I was writing up this murder last night, and I got to that point, I dropped my pen, and I yelled, I didn't even know. And my husband was like, well, what's, what's happening? happening? And when I told him, he couldn't believe it either. I'm sure. And so we were both for Clint. CSI. He sure so. does. He teaches forensics. But that's not law. Wow. Interesting. So there's no closure on this. Unless somebody knows, I looked everywhere. I have never, I could not find 
a trial date that was set. I couldn't find anything. So right. if anybody has an update on this, please send it to me and, yes. and we'll tie up these loose ends. But we do so, have listeners in Alaska. I heard we do. Yeah. Yes. Shout out to the Alaskans. Woo, woo, go, woo, Alaska. Woo, go Alaska. It's your birthday. Go Alaska. It's your birthday. I don't know what else to say. Let's see some northern lights. Oh my God, you're so right. And some Kodiak bears. Uh, I don't want to see those as much as I would like to see some whales. Or a polar bear. That'd be fun from a distance. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm going to ride up on it. No, I understand. No, I just would like to see How it. How crazy I is like it like that wildlife. we both murders with this genetic I know. testing? And we don't tell each other what the murders are until we're getting ready to do them. Well, the day of, we say... What state is your murder in? <laughs> well, always scared because I realized one of our previous episodes, if anybody listened, which I'm sure you did, and I don't know why you wouldn't have, to the episode with where we baked the Victoria sandwich, because I keep calling it the Victorian, we both did murders, different states, but both of them were the sons killed the parents. Yeah. And we didn't even get it. We didn't even make that connection when we were... When we were podcasting. No, we didn't. So I thought that was kind of cray cray. That would probably happen a lot with us. Yeah, because we're, we're in sync. I mean, we're not the band in sync. We're not. I'm not even the Backstreet Boys. No. No. Mm -mm. But, I mean, I do like their music. And we have been known to show up wearing the same outfit, the same colors of outfit. It's crazy. It's a little weird so and creepy. So it only makes sense that we would do similar murders. Yes, because we have similar interests. But this genetic thing is just, it's going to blow the roof off of. I, I hope lives. so. I hope so. We just have to figure out why this guy. I got to figure out this extradition. Can hang crowd. out and live in Maine. Yeah. Well, let's keep chatting about it, and I'm going to just figure out is it. Maybe they don't have enough evidence to extradite him, or I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to just say um, is extradition. <laughs> Voluntary? Right. Is extradition. Oh, at any time, a person may waive extradition and voluntarily consent to surrender for criminal prosecution or punishment in an extraditable offense or any non-extraditable offense for which the person has been charged or convicted, provided the judge is satisfied that the consent is voluntarily given with notice. An extradition is an act where one jurisdiction delivers a person accused or convicted of committed a crime. So maybe the extradition process, one sovereign jurisdiction typically makes a format request to the other jurisdiction. So I don't know, maybe Maine says we only extradite you if you want. I guess. I mean, once he's charged, what, like he can be prosecuted and, and convicted. And once he's convicted, I think you don't have a choice. Right. Not, I know it's different for countries, right. but I just felt like we're one sovereign United States. Right. I thought we all were united in this extradition situation. Yeah. But it's very perplexing. I had no idea it was a voluntary situation. Well, I certainly hope that there is resolution. Me too. I hope so too. Poor Sophie. That's just so sad. Yes. It really rocked her village. I'm sure it did. She was their rising star. I'm sure it did. So, anyway, I smell something that smells real good. I'm super so, sad, so I'm going to eat. I'm going to make myself feel I better. I know. I'm going to make myself feel better by gorging myself on sweet potato biscuits. Yes. Should I take a break, and then we'll get them prepared? No, I can just stand one right over the counter. Are you kidding me? They're ready? 
Yeah, some of them are ready. Holy flipping moly. I'm so excited. They are a little thinner than what I expected, but who So cares? put one on top of the other. I know. Sandwich those things yeah. together. We'll have a sweet tater sandwich. All right. Here you go. I'm excited. I hope y'all can smell this through the microphone. I'm going to wait for you to get yours in your uh -huh. mouth. Mm, they smell so good. This country ham. Lord of mercy. Yes, indeed. I love some Virginia ham. Me too. And surprisingly, it. it's very hard to find outside of Virginia. Yeah, who knew? <laughs> I had no idea. All right, let's do Here it. Here we go. One, two, three. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. That's real good. That's delicious. All right, y'all. We're not going to eat in your face, but you can email us for the recipe. Yes, at murder dot sugarcoated at gmail.com <laughs> <laughs> yes and let us know if you have a murder that you want us to talk about let us know if you want any of these wonderful recipes that we keep making and eating and our doctors are going to have a real problem with it but i don't care i don't care I'm living my best life. That's, That's what right. I tell my doctor. <laughs> I know you're worried, but I'm living my I'm best life. I'm living my best life. Just let me yeah, live it yeah. already. Yeah. <laughs> Goes against everything that they've learned in medical school. Yes. Thank you, everybody, for supporting us. And for listening. For continuing to listen. We just love it. We love our fan group page. We love inter interacting with everybody. We and do. Don't be strangers, because we ain't never met a stranger. We ain't never met one. All right, Trout, what do you have to say? Trouty. Hey. Can you speak? What's he doing? Uh oh. oh he's coming okay. to the kitchen. He's running away. He won't get on the floor. He said, What do you want? Oh, All right. Uh -huh. He's getting a treat. Y'all stay sweet, okay? Have a great week. Bye now. Bye. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.